I'm not sure if you noticed from the Old Testament reading this morning, but it says that Ezra read from early morning until midday, and the, eyes of, the ears of all the people were attentive. The next time you think a sermon is a bit long, just remember that passage. Both Old Testament and Gospel stories today uh, give us an account of uh, basically like a synagogue worship. Um, the scriptures are read and then they're expounded, the sense is given, they're preached. The preaching at Nazareth is the start of Jesus' ministry in Luke's Gospel. It comes right after his baptism and temptation. And we know that there were some other things that happened in between. Luke says a report about him went throughout the whole surrounding region. So it's not the, the very next thing that he did, but it serves as a sort of programmatic statement of Jesus' ministry and mission. It tells us what he was about, what his whole ministry in Galilee and beyond um, was about in a nutshell. And the passage that he quotes to describe his ministry from Isaiah 61 is a fascinating passage. In its original context, it looks forward to the return of the, exile, the people from exile. And it describes this glorious return to the land of Israel uh, in terms of the biblical year of Jubilee. If you're a little rusty on what that is in terms of Old Testament law, um, there were all sorts of provisions in the law to take care of the vulnerable and the least in the community. There were the gleaning laws where you couldn't, you couldn't uh, farm all the way to the edge of your property, you had to leave a little bit. Every seventh year there were provisions for the poor. And then every seventh seventh year or every seventh Sabbath year after that, on the 50th year, was the year of Jubilee. And the idea behind the year of Jubilee is that you would have rest for the land, the whole land would lay fallow for a year. Um, all of the property, which was an inheritance that God had given to the people, the tribes and clans, would be um, returned to their original owners, and slaves would be freed, debts were to be forgiven, so it was a sort of complete, clean slate. Everything, everything was wiped back to the, its original setting. And it was a time of great rejoicing and celebration where the kind of equitable view that God has for creation would have been established again, reestablished. But the passage in Isaiah also points forward to God's long-term plan, Israel as a light to the nations, that the nations would see this kind of reaction, this kind of living, and would be drawn to the God of Israel. They would be, what the passage goes on to say, they would be oaks of righteousness. They would be fully mature, flourishing human examples of humanity, and all the world would see it and rejoice and give thanks to God. Just after the passage that Jesus quotes from Isaiah, it goes on to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And this glorious picture was spoken from the perspective of the person who would bring this good news, who would announce the dawning of this age, this epoch. And this is the passage that Jesus chooses 
to read to sort of in inaugurate his ministry. You can feel the excitement in the room. Remember, this is a synagogue, so this, is a, this is, would be a small gathering. You have to not picture the temple in Jerusalem with its big high ceilings, not a cathedral. This was a very small, intimate kind of setting. You could see Jesus's, the expression on his face. When he sat down to teach, you would be able to sort of hear him very clearly and see all of his facial expressions. So there was this excitement in the room, and Jesus is reading the text that refers to this mysterious anointed agent who would bring God's news and reading it in the first person. After he finishes, you can just sense that anticipation and Luke's description of this, all the eyes being fixed on Jesus. You can, I, can, I imagine it like you know, 30 seconds going by and this pregnant silence filling the air and everyone's wondering, what is he going to say about this passage, this wonderful, glorious vision? And what he says is, surely the last thing that anyone would expect. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Think about what he's saying. What had for centuries been a promise, a potential, a future hope, is now at this very moment a present reality. The long-awaited promise to bring his people back, not just from physical exile, but spiritual exile, to help them fulfill their vocation, to be a light to the nations. What was just a promise is now a present reality. Today, this has been fulfilled. Jesus is announcing the year of Jubilee, but on a cosmic scale for the whole world. And it's remarkable to think that the first word of the gospel is not a moral command. That's how people think of religion, right? It's a list of rules, things you have to do. But the first word of the gospel is not what we need to do, but it's an announcement of what God has already done for us in Christ. This wonderful proclamation inaugurates Jesus' ministry. And then, if you follow his ministry throughout Galilee and the surrounding region, he goes about doing precisely these things. Uh, in fact, later on when John the Baptist is becoming a little nervous about whether Jesus was, is really the Messiah, he sends his disciples to ask, and this is Jesus' response. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is he who takes no offense at me. In other words, he's using that passage from Isaiah 61 as a way of saying, do you see that this is unfolding right before your eyes? The, the promised fulfillment is at hand. And this kingdom work, this looking after the least in our community, the poor, is important work, crucially important work, and it continues down to our day through his body, the church. And yet, there are still so many poor, imprisoned, oppressed among us. How can Jesus say that this scripture has been fulfilled? I think we have to understand that these acts of mercy, these healings in Jesus' ministry, these signs that have continued down to the present, they act on, on two different levels in the New Testament. On the surface, of course, they bring healing, they bring justice, they bring freedom to an individual or a particular community. But it's only partial. 
at this point. It's only imperfect and incomplete. Those who are healed will eventually get sick again. Even those Jesus ends up uh, resuscitating, Lazarus, will eventually die again. And it's also, it's not that Jesus came about to heal everyone at that moment. Um, even in his ministry, he did not free every person he met from oppression. He did not heal all the infirm of their sickness, not even in the places where he visited. Rather, the primary function of these signs is to be signs of the kingdom among us, glimpses of that final and deeper healing and justice and freedom which Jesus secured for us and which will, he will one day bring in its fullness. For the deeper truth is that in him we have been brought out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. In him we are to be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We are to follow his example by doing acts of mercy and proclaiming the good news of which they are signs. And whenever we see the hungry fed, the brokenhearted comforted, when we see eyes enlightened or the oppressed set free, we are getting a glimpse, a foretaste of God's kingdom among us. Listen to God's promise. As the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. You know, it's easy to get discouraged by all the problems that remain. But today, we hear the word of God encouraging us not to mourn or weep, but rather to celebrate the promise of the gospel which Jesus proclaimed and enacted, the promise which is true yesterday, today, and forever. For though we may at times feel discouraged or sorrowful, in Jesus we see the dawning of a new day where the former things are passing away and all the promises of God find their fulfillment.